0: Well last week it was a great joy to welcome Andrew back to the pulpit or music stand to share the message of the eighth commandment you shall not steal and uh, Andrew shared some insightful as well as amusing stories of his own experiences with this commandment growing up and illustrated the many ways that we're all susceptible to breaking it to taking something that doesn't belong to us. Uh, Today, as we continue our journey through the Ten Commandments, we move to the Ninth. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And it does seem like these two commandments, not stealing and then not falsely accusing someone of a crime, can often be connected. And one example that immediately sprang to my mind was back when I was a teenager growing up in Brentwood Bay on the Sanish Peninsula, a friend and I were down by the water uh, in the bay. We were feeling a bit bored, uh, as usual, not knowing what to do with ourselves. We didn't have cell phones in those days, smartphones to keep us distracted. So instead, uh, we found this rowboat just tied to a dock. So... <laughs> we decided to take it for a spin. I'll, I'll just interject here that at no point did it ever cross my adolescent mind that there was any problem with this. So we rowed around for a little bit And then we got out of the boat at a different dock across the bay. Again, the thought didn't cross our minds that we had now just stolen a boat. Uh, Last week, Andrew shared how he stole some of his neighbor's toy guns, so I thought it's fair to share how I essentially committed grand theft auto. (laughs) Or or grand theft marine, I don't know what the terminology is there. But I'd say that didn't really occur to me at the time until we saw a light coming towards us from the water now again we were bored so this made us curious to see what was going on what this light was all about and a couple of men pulled up to the dock in their little motorboat and got out and a bit flustered told us that a couple of guys had just stolen their rowboat and that they'd followed them to the dock and did we see them at all? And my immediate knee-jerk reaction was the proverbial, they went that way. (laughs) (laughs) And then the two men ran off to nowhere in particular, chasing nobody at all. And my friend and I just looked at each other and silently agreed it was time to go home. Uh, But to this day, I still can't get over how, how calm and collected I was in that situation, how quickly I was able to get us out of trouble. But I had... Come to realize it was from years of training, uh, from blaming things on Mr. Nobody, as I shared with the kids this morning, so that when I did steal a boat and got caught red-handed, I simply accused Mr. Nobody of doing it. I bore false witness uh, against a made-up person and got away with the crime. Now, you could try to argue that falsely accusing Nobody doesn't count as breaking the ninth commandment. Uh, Because technically I wasn't bearing false witness against my neighbor or against anybody, but I don't think that's really fair However, I do have another confession. I see some some of you are like who is this guy? What have we got ourselves into but uh, Another confession of doing something that was a far more blatant attempt to falsely accuse another Does anyone have siblings? (laughs) Are any of you the oldest? of the siblings. So maybe you can relate to this. When I was young, I used to feel like I got in trouble a lot more than my younger sisters, because I was often told I was older and expected to know better. So one day I was feeling particularly unjustly discriminated against, so I decided to frame my sister. Now, the plan was brilliant. At the time, she was in the south african version of kindergarten and was just learning to write her name and she was practicing whenever whenever she could just as adeline is doing these days so i took a black felt marker and forged her signature you know i copied how she wrote all of her letters and i did this on the white wardrobe in her bedroom then i waited for my parents to discover the crime and they did they discovered the vandalism but they didn't buy the ruse for a second <laughs> to say the plan was brilliant but the execution was poor my eight-year-old forgery skills failed me and regrettably it was me who then uh, endured the punishment I was made to wash the wardrobe however also regrettably I then discovered I'd use permanent ink and the name wouldn't come off and it it never did <laughs> so that for years the evidence of my crime, my attempt to bear false witness against my sister. My shame was there for every visitor who ever stepped into her bedroom to see and inquire about and then disapprove of. So I have clearly broken the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor as we heard it today from the NIV, or as the ESB translates it, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, as a kid in Sunday school, I always thought it was just, you shall not lie. But if we look at the terminology that is used in Exodus, we see that the main focus there is on a legal setting. Uh, The expression that we're given in the Hebrew, a chaker, means a lying witness. And the prohibition is against perjury or formal slander in a trial setting. Now, as we have been observing, uh, when Moses delivered the law at Mount Sinai, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words engraved on stone tablets. If we read on in Exodus, we see that the law is unpacked and explained in a lot more detail, and that Exodus 20-23 to records what's referred to as the Book of the Covenant, which does include the Ten Commandments, but also instructions on worship, rules and principles for the life of the community and then instructions for how to enter the land of canaan so our reading today was from exodus 23 and in it we heard an explanation on the ten, on the ninth commandment which was essentially a warning to israel against perverting justice against being a false witness against someone in a trial setting especially for the sake of gaining something at the expense of that person where this false testimony would then lead to their being punished and this was incredibly important because when the law was given nearly all crimes were capital crimes we've seen that seven of the Ten Commandments were capital crimes punishable by death so this means that being a false witness against someone was often equivalent to murder because successfully pinning the blame of a crime on them, would lead to their execution. And we see this in the New Testament. Jesus experienced this throughout his whole earthly life, people trying to bear false witness against him to get rid of him. And in the end, it was false witness, a false accusation that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews that brought him to trial and conviction and ultimately his death on the cross. And Jesus also warns that those who follow in his footsteps, his disciples, will also suffer at the hands of false testimony. And we see this in the book of Acts, when a disciple named Stephen is brought to trial because of false testimony, an accusation that he blasphemed against Moses. And Stephen responds not by trying to defend himself, but by launching into a gospel sermon that retells the history of the prophets leading up to the death of Jesus, and he was stoned to death in response. Bearing false witness is more than just being dishonest, and the consequences are often much more serious, much more serious than wasting someone's time in order to get away with borrowing a boat. So, strictly speaking, the Ninth Commandment addresses perjury and these kinds of legal claims. However, if we do read the commandment in the context of the whole of Scripture, we see that it also does imply dishonest speech in general, including lying, slander, gossip, all manipulative, deceitful, insulting speech, as well as testifying falsely about oneself or about others particularly for personal gain. And we read this in Leviticus, Psalms, Proverbs, Matthew, Romans, and Peter's letters to the church. There are multiple warnings about being a forger of lies because this does lead to the pain and suffering of others. And we see this especially in the Psalms where the wicked shame the righteous by speaking lies against them. And the righteous then Turn to God and ask for deliverance from this injustice. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. And during his Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus explains the fulfillment of the law, Jesus says simply, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. If we read on in Scripture, we see that the letters to the church throughout the New Testament are forced to address bearing false witness in respect to the teaching of the church. This included false or misleading teaching, false teachers. And the letters explain that any teacher who bears false witness against the truth of God's word is abusing the authority that's been given to them by Christ to serve his body. And so the ninth commandment does imply that God expects his people to tell the truth. And the reason for this is because, as we've discussed numerous times through our journey through the Ten Commandments, God gave His law as a revelation of His character. And in Israel, the daily life of the community was meant to represent God's character. And we see in the Ninth Commandment that God is righteous, God is just, And God is truth. And that righteousness and justice was to be reflected in the daily life of God's people. So God forbade bearing false witness, willfully communicating falsehoods about a neighbor. Because it would lead to the harm of that neighbor, and this is obviously the opposite of loving that neighbor. God also forbade false witness because it was a defamation of character of the person who was being falsely accused but also of God's character, on whose character all civil, legal, communal life was based. So what does bearing false witness look like now in our lives, in the life of God's people now in the church? It can take all kinds of forms. Yes, it can still be committing perjury in a legal setting. It can involve just outright telling lies but it can also be seemingly as innocent as exaggerating to make a story sound better, adding or embellishing details, or just leaving out certain details, only telling some of the truth. Now, that one's tricky because there are times when that's necessary. Confidentiality uh, is certainly important in certain times and places. But I'm talking about intentionally leaving out details, telling half-truths, When the whole truth is called for bearing false witness can also involve passing along a story about another person without making sure it's entirely true that all the facts are true or wondering out loud about things we don't know are true. For example, casual comments such as I've noticed such and such about so-and-so and And it kind of makes you wonder, you know what, that's bearing false witness can also look like saying so-and-so said that, but they obviously actually mean this. Now, sadly, I've experienced all of these things against me, uh, especially in ministry. But even more sadly, I could probably say that I've been guilty of all of these at one time or another, and I'm sure many of us can say the same. Our good friend Daryl Johnson points out, how amazing it is how often and quickly our behavior is wrongly interpreted by others. And how often and quickly we wrongly interpret the behavior of others. And how often and quickly others think they understand our motives but are wrong. And how often and quickly we think we understand the motives of others but are wrong. And just as we see in the Old Testament, this false witness of all these different kinds has consequences that hurt others, that hurt our neighbors, that hurt the body of Christ, the church. Because this kind of talk and bearing false witness plants seeds of distrust, and they can so quickly and easily escalate and damage the reputations and integrity and dignity of others. It's easy to plant these seeds of distrust. It's a lot harder to rebuild that trust if it's shaken. I'm afraid that those kinds of things do happen in churches far too often. How many people have been hurt by false rumors or even by true rumors that shouldn't have been shared or passed around? Our words can harm, but they can also heal. And so we are given a choice how to use our words. In any community, especially in the community of the church, relationships do require trust, and trust does require telling the truth. So learning to love our neighbor, learning to love one another needs we, means we need to speak the truth to one another. And so we are called to be honest in all aspects of our life, in our private lives as well as in our public lives and our life together as God's people. So how do we do this? When we speak, we should aim at all times for it to be with love, as well as with wisdom and discernment, and of course with truth, so that our words honor God and our neighbors. And our friend Daryl Johnson provides five suggestions for how we can do this. By one, biting our tongue. If necessary, you've heard the old saying, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. If you have nothing good or honest to say, don't speak. Two, by plugging our ears, by refusing to listen to rumors, innuendos, or gossip. Three, by putting ourselves in others' shoes, asking how we would feel if the thing we want to say about them was said about us. Four, by asking ourselves why the truth isn't good enough. Why we feel we must stretch or twist it, asking ourselves if we've been hurt or angry or insecure. And maybe that's why we need to exaggerate or prop up our ego, make ourselves look and feel better. Or maybe we're feeling self-righteous, feeling like we have the right to judge and then spread our verdict about others to the rest of our community. Or maybe we are afraid of the consequences of the truth. Maybe we are afraid that there will be punishment or retribution or something. As we've observed today, the ninth commandment reveals to us the character of God, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is the truth. And so because of this, we know that we can always Trust Him. And this means we can speak the truth by five, coming into the presence of Jesus, the light of the world, and letting Him shed light on the situation as we ask Him, why are we tempted to be dishonest? Let Him expose us to ourselves. Let Him reveal our real motives to ourselves. And we can do this because we know we can trust Jesus, because though He does reveal to us our sin, crimes. It's not to punish us. It's so that he can cleanse us, wash away that sin, forgive us. We've been discussing which of the Ten Commandments seem easier to follow and which seem more difficult. I think being honest in all things at all times, speaking truth to one another, is perhaps one of the most difficult for many of us. But this is just another example of how we can't obey God's commands perfectly by ourselves, we will always fall short of His perfect standards, expectations. And this means we can't earn His acceptance. But God still accepts us anyway, always. So instead, all we can do is come to Him and accept what He offers us freely, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus. And if we do this, we can then continue to let Him transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more and more like Him. And keeping the ninth commandment does help us do this. As the Catechism explains, keeping the ninth commandment helps us to become like Christ. Because by practicing love and truthfulness in speech, we grow in self-restraint, in kindness, And in honesty. So that we can love God more fully. We can come to know him with a mind that's free of deception. And come to praise him with an undefiled tongue. And so that we can more truly come to love our neighbors as ourselves. So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that... You don't deal with us according to our sins. You don't reward us according to our crimes. We do acknowledge and confess that we deserve punishment for the things we've done in our lives. And so we thank you that by your grace, by your mercy, we can trust that we are forgiven. We thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit living in us, we can continue to be transformed into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, so that we may grow in self restraint and kindness, in wisdom and discernment, and in honesty, as well as in love for you and for our neighbors. Lord, would you continue to do your work in our lives?